Thank you. That was beautiful, beautiful worship. And so good to be here uh, with you this morning. I, I just want to say a couple of things is that uh, my throat's a little uh, froggy, and uh, I do that on purpose just to sound more. No, I, I, it's, I, I tested yesterday for COVID also just to put you at ease. And uh, I, I had, I'm taking this medication. I don't know if you remember, you've been praying about my ear. I was supposed to have surgery on the back of my ears. And um, and uh, last month or so, the doctor did some tests and found out it, it it all decreased. It's really good. And so I don't need surgery right now. He'll check every three months, and that's really great. Uh, and then uh, he gave me this medicine, this medication. It's a nasal spray and stuff, and I think it's making me, uh, uh, you know, have a little, uh, whatever you want to call this throat, frog in the throat or, throat or whatever. But anyway, I just want to, I'm not sick or anything, just to put you at ease. That's all I was thing. And I love this uh be here in this time because um, this whole series on uh, obstacles, how God works in obstacles, uh, and then being here today was really a special touch. Uh, I appreciate the pastors, uh, Rebecca and Pastor Cheryl, Pastor Yumiko, Pastor Dan, who are great pastors who love you, love the Lord, love you, love our world and the, uh, where we are, and, and I, I'm just so grateful for them and inviting me today because I realized... Um, and in this middle of this transition is that I remember when we moved in here, I think it was about 13 years ago, I want to say, around 2010 or so, 2009 maybe. And we were in the same building you're going to now, but on, the, on, on this side, we were on the far side at that time. And so I think that's kind of significant, though you're moving back to kind of the same place. In one hand, it's not, never the same with God, even if you're on the same side, but this time you're on a different side. And when God brings us through a change in Exodus, it's, it, even if it goes to a similar place, it's never the same as when we were there before. That's one thing I've learned about transition and, and journeys and challenges. And then about obstacles, I just want to share that at that time, it was a really difficult time. I describe it as kind of the ship, shipwreck time for Wellspring because uh, we were, at that time, we had our, our mortgage for that place and the mortgage for here. And at that time, a company was here who was, who was running uh, experiences for children with jumpies and all that. And it was right at 2008, 2009, when there was that financial crisis. And their business just went down really bad. And we had uh, one of our staff, uh, pastors, was overseeing the, the financial things. The idea was they'd keep paying their mortgage and stuff and rent to what they were paying a previous owner. And we would be able to pay off this mortgage and have some for moving. And we didn't know this for quite a few months. It got left, and finally, in around August, myself and another person in our church, uh, we, we got together with the, the person in charge, our staff, and looked over the books and found out they hadn't been paying for quite a while. And, and consequently, the church was just about at the end of all of our resources and savings. And I'd never been in that. I'd been serving for, at that time, 30-plus years, and never had a church with financial crisis at all. And so it was very difficult, very painful, and we'd had some internal difficulties, a couple close friends that, um, you know, there was a lot of misinformation going out and, and things and accusations and all that kind of stuff. It was a very painful time. And I remember just feeling it was a shipwreck. I thought everything was falling apart. And uh, I remember, <clears throat> and so um, I remember just feeling all kinds of anger, frustration, disappointment, e everything you can imagine. And I remember one morning, I, I kind of early in the morning had a dream that was very vivid still to this day. And you ever have those kind of dreams where you see it, it's like a movie's running. And I, I love movies, so maybe that's God's best way of speaking to me. But it was very clear. 
And I'm down in the bottom. Uh, I, I grew up, my dad was a boat builder, but you know, the bottom, the bottom of the hull of a, a kind of a wood ship. And it has all the, the ribs that come up and the planks on the side. And I'm standing right on the keel in the middle there. And I'm, I'm standing there. I'm holding three ropes in each hand. One, both, so one of the ropes on both sides attached to the front, the middle, and the back. And I'm standing there holding these ropes like this. And I'm getting exhausted and I'm tired and I'm holding this. And then I hear, you know, in a dream you just know some things. I hear these voice, steps come down and I know it's Jesus behind me. And he says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm holding the boat together so it doesn't sink. And Jesus said very simply, he said, well, number one, it's not your boat. And number two, I'm not asking you to do that. Let go. And he said, whatever happens with the church, it's my church. And I'm leading this. You're helping, but you're not responsible for it. To keep it from sinking or going, wherever it goes. And it was just this time of, of releasing to God. And, and realizing the obstacles that we were facing, I was so worried about all that. He, he was really asking me what, what to learn from this, how to grow through this, how to rely on what God is doing instead of what I felt I had to do. And I remember that. And, and at that time, that in a week or two after that, I came to the church and told him, look, in about a month or so, we'll be completely bankrupt. And you know, I, I said, I, the buck stops with me. I'm the, senior pastor. And that's all I said about that. And I, and I told the church at that time, I said, look, look at what you're giving to the church. If you're giving all you feel you can, you have peace about that, then be blessed and go continue, continue like that. If you can review and feel you could give more, then, then as you feel God leads, you do that. That's the last time we talked about finances for the next couple months. So we just were, I was just broken. And, and, and I realized in that time, God also said, I felt, spoke to me really clearly, what, in all of this, uh, what's your part? What do you need to look at? How do you need to grow? I went into counseling and got some therapy and went through looking at myself and growing, which was really helpful. Uh, and it took away from blaming and all the fear and anger and all that stuff to dealing with myself, which was hard enough. By December, uh, near the end of, middle of December, we were supposed to move from that place. Our lease was running out, and we, had to, and we moved in here at the end of December. The people were still here, hadn't moved any of their stuff out. They hadn't paid for quite a few months, and they were still here. It was kind of felt like an obstacle, an angry, you know, invitation, but we just did. And then our treasurer and the people and the council gave a report of our finances. And in that time, without pushing and being anxious, our savings was restored to about $100,000. Uh, I just, and it was a complete surprise and blessing to God. Where I was just so focused on trying to just see how to navigate all this, these things and listen to God. And, and so we came over on the, near the end. Ro, uh, Colleen's husband, Rory, came out. And uh, this guy, Jeff Holcano and Scuba. Uh, we came over. I asked, hey, you guys come with me? We'll come see what it looks like. Well, they take all, took all their stuff out. We came in here. Uh, and the place was just a mess. It was just big dirt all over and junk piled up in corners. Upstairs, they had all their an some animals, and the offices were just trash. It was just a mess, you know. And, but it was empty, and we prayed and thanked God for a new beginning, a new place. And the church, we got together, similar to what you're doing now, going back. We got together. We had a big cleanup day and some swept out everything, pulled out carpets and cleaned it all out. And I remember one lady, I think she mopped this whole floor. She got a couple people, which is huge. If you can imagine, it was all completely wide open. And we cleaned out everything, and then the next few days, we moved everything over here and just found our way to move in eventually. 
if you look behind, if you could see behind this paint, there's people wrote verses of, of uh, God's welcoming God's blessing into this place of worship and home for a new start at that time. From all four walls, we had somebody, people who just took pens and wrote, and uh, most of it was very appropriate. Yeah. It was all good. That's how we started. And, and so coming here, and so now God's called, and we felt called to come here, and now God's called you to a new home, a new place. And whatever obstacles may seem before you, uh, well, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit, about how God, what does God do with the obstacles? Pat was calling me on the way over this morning asking, well, what's your title and stuff? He hadn't seen the notes and stuff. And, he, and, and I was telling him what, what God, you know, obstacles, uh, how God works in them. And he thought, I said, how God places them in us. And I said, no, I, I don't believe God places most of the obstacles. He doesn't need to. There's enough obstacles in our lives. We go through life that, uh, what God does is help us work through them and find and grow from them. That's what I want to talk about today as we explore the life of these people uh, in their exodus and the obstacles that they met and what we can learn from that. I found it really re- causing me to reflect in the last few years, especially besides this and more closely in the last couple of years, what I've learned from the obstacles that I've been faced with and how to grow through them. I just want to say also that my son Andrew uh, today is moving to Boulder, Colorado uh, with his wife, Fanny, and our two, two of our grandkids. They're leaving this evening, and so they'll be leaving. So I'll, I'm going to have to cut it short about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock yeah, to get over there. <laughs> Cheryl asked me to go on, and I said, look, Cheryl, I'm not going to go that long. <laughs> Sorry, Cheryl. Anyway, Nathan really insists. Keep going. You know, he, I don't know. Anyway, and then so nice to see Pastor Gerald here. We, we're there in those any early beginnings, uh, Gerald. Yeah. But he's leaving. He's going to Boulder, Colorado. He got a, and his, his mentor friend, a good friend of ours who retired from Washington, D.C. in the same area of cybersecurity said, if you really want to grow and develop, you got, it'd be really good to go move to the mainland, go other places, get new experiences. And it was something in him looking for adventure. And he said, there's chances are you'll be able to increase your income because their hope was to go for a while, three, four, five years, and move back to Hawaii and be able to have a, get a house and live here again. So we're excited about this new venture. So I said, so wait a minute. You're saying that, um, I said, why are you going? He said, well, for adventure and grow and develop and, and then be able to save up and come back and move on. I said, so you're, um, you're leaving, you're, you're living from just being what you're used to you're taking a bolder step to move to Colorado. Uh, and, and I said, you know, I think we... Hey, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm not done yet. One more. I said, so I think when you get there, you're going to really rock it over there. You know? So as a two for one, you know, rock a boulder and then also rock it because he's working for a space company. So anyway, um, okay, I thought about that. And we, I, I, I was almost skipped it and I thought, no, I don't want to rob them of this opportunity. So as we look at this, this passage today, I've asked uh, Nathan Fu to come up and read that because uh, I can't read so well, but he reads really good. No, I, I'm just concerned about wearing out my voice. And so what I want you to do is, as he's reading this, look at this and see, man, here's, look at the how they're faced with an obstacle. And one is Pharaoh. He, I mean, he's just really clear. No, you know, you're not going. Pharaoh was an obstacle. But then they, and what God wanted to do was an obstacle for Pharaoh as well. And so let's look at this as you see this, and then I'll go through just a few points, and we'll do this together, okay? Um, Nathan, if you don't mind. So the scripture passage this morning can be found in Exodus 
5, 1 through 9, 19 to 23, and chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord. You nervous, buddy? Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. The Israelite overseers realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look up on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Nathan. Doesn't he re read really wonderfully? Huh? Yeah. He said I had to say that if he didn't get applause, he was going to walk out or something. Um, it's a powerful story, and I, I'm so grateful that this passage was given and this, this focus, uh, thinking about obstacles. They're part of life. We all, and I reviewed my life, and I thought, man, I've had lots of obstacles, some by choices I made and the struggles I went through, and some by what other people decided that created obstacles in my life or where I felt God was leading me and was supposed to go. Because God calls us to something doesn't mean it's going to be without obstacles. And in fact, and you see in this time, it created some obstacles uh, for Moses and Aaron and for the people and for Pharaoh. It didn't make things easier. It actually caused some challenges. And when there's at stake um, control and oppression and holding people and, and all of that, uh, God's always going to be working to bring obstacles to that effort and also helping develop us as God's people 
to find our way through in meaningful ways, through the obstacles, not overcoming them, not necessarily removing them even. We're going to get into that a little bit. So here's just a couple of things I've realized about obstacles. Is that obstacles bring us to choose either of these two things. And I'm sure there's more complexities in this, so I'm a little bit simple-minded, but I'm trying to just keep it on a couple of simple, straightforward things that I think are actually kind of complex. So he said, so obstacles bring us to choose either conformity, conformity to what's the obstacle given into it, or to courage to change. And they're really two distinct choices. In the face of obstacles, will I conform to all that it's saying and all it's doing? And, all, and we'll go into that a little bit. Or God says, or you can also choose to have, find courage to change. And it's an opportunity in the midst of obstacles. So in conformity, let me just talk about the conformity part. In conformity, we submit to control. Control. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. He took control. He said, well, you're not changing anything. I'm in control here. And his response to this um, sort of, if you want to say, this obstacle of these guys coming to him is, a, is a, something to look at and learn at, is that sense that when we're faced with obstacles and things aren't going as we think, we, there's a natural or, a, I think, an instinctive instinct to want to have control, to make it work the way we think it should. Even if we think this is what God wants, there's still this kind of control issue. And we, we, we over-control. And sometimes I think in our culture, we over-value um, control. Because sometimes, I don't, I'm not, so I'm not, some of you, well, we can't be out of control. Whenever you talk about control and you say it's too much control is not good, people always go, or oftentimes will go to the extreme. Well, what do you want to do? Just be completely out of control. Those are two extreme examples God is not interested in. God works in the, in the way of uh, a meaningful control that's really guided and directed by God's sense of direction and guidance and will also br- often bring us to a place where we're, we're out of, feel out of control. I might have shared with you, but uh, yesterday was my dad's two-year anniversary of when he passed away, which was just three months after my wife passed away. And so in a short period of time, some significant losses in my life. Uh, and thank you for all your prayers and support. I, I really feel like uh, I've been carried and guided through this with your love and support in many wonderful ways. And, and it's been a couple of years of really healing and finding my way. And I just feel like I'm uh, kind of coming alive and, and rising through this. Uh, it, that, not that it'll ever be gone, the sense of loss and sadness, but also joy and life is returning and energy and strength. Well, when I was there uh, two years ago with my dad after Bev's funeral and all of that, <clears throat> I went and spent a week there with him. And my dad was 93 years old. He had the, his mind was still sharp and strong and willful. I, I mean, for... T- Probably 30 years, he kept thinking he's still 60 years old. So he'd see in the mirror and he'd say, who the heck is that guy? Who's a stranger in my house? And as his body was conforming to <laughs> being 90 plus years old, he still held in his mind. And so his mind was really sharp. And that was good in some ways. In some ways, it's really difficult because you couldn't help him. And he's fighting everything because he had what he thought how things should be. Control was huge with my dad. But he also had wonderful parts of him that were kind and good and loving, too. <clears throat> oh, thank you, buddy. And so uh, I went to see him uh, after the funeral and, and all that a couple weeks later. I was exhausted, but I went to see him. He's in the hospital. He'd been in and out a lot. His granddaughter from, from, his, uh, from my stepmom had been trying to help, and they were really frustrated. They wouldn't accept help. And 
yet kind of. He's kind and also really, make, be, he can be honorary and all that. When I got to the hospital, uh, seeing my dad, <clears throat> he's in the hospital and he's really angry with the, uh, the doctors every time they come in and the nurses because they wouldn't let him go home. And he's really frustrated and angry and pushing. And the doctor said pretty clearly, oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, and how about a cinnamon roll? That'd be, you know. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> so bad. Um, unless you're, you have one. No, uh, anyway. And so he was, you know, kind of cussing. He gets nasty. He gets mean. He gets a little racist. He gets sexist. All these kind of things. This part of him comes out. And I, I, I said, whoa, they're coming in and they do what they need to and dash out. And he said, ah, you know, and I said, Dad, you're, you're, I understand you're angry and frustrated, yeah. And he, I said, but you're being mean. He said, oh, I'm kind. And I said, you can be, but right now you're not being. And they're trying to help you. Well, a month before he was in the hospital, my dad had been an antagonistic uh, atheist with me all my life, all my Christian life. Well, I became a Christian a junior in high school, and he's always poking, jabbing. And then the last well, 20 years or so, he's asked for prayer some, but still really distant and held out. But a month before he passed, he's in the hospital, and his, his aide, she loved Jesus, and she's just one of those, you know, she got angry with him when she needed to to put him in his place, but also, because I love you, and, you know, she was just kind of wild, full love, and helped him accept the Lord. Uh, total miracle, you know, and, uh, and, and it was genuine, you know, I mean, I could really see and he wanted to read the Bible from beginning to end like he read when we bought him a computer. You know, I got to read through the whole manual to understand this. And I said, well, here's a few of the highlights. If you get this, you got the main thing. But anyway, and I said, I never read a manual on computer. We, they're too easy to use without all that. But that's my dad. But we were in the hospital, so he'd asked some about the Bible, and, and, but he was also just wanting to get out and trying to get up. And they said, as soon as you can sit up on your own and then stand on your own, you can go home. But he couldn't, his body was declining pretty rapidly and shutting down. He couldn't even sit up on his own, much less stand up. But he was still trying, and I was there with him, and, and he was having some many different problems, and, and uh, just came to visit, and also helping him. I signed him up. It's, the family was trying to get him into an assisted living place he was fighting at, and got him to agree to that. Went over and got that set up all in that week. And, but I kept hearing God say to me, whisper, I felt God was saying, um, your dad's trying too hard. Help him understand that. And so then uh, I went in there and I saw him and I said, uh, and it was my last day there with him. And he's all angry. And, and I said, dad, I understand why you're angry, why you're frustrated. I get it. And you want to go home. They're trying to help you. I said, but, but if I can just tell you, uh, you're, you're trying too hard. And he said, well, I, I don't want to give up. And I said, I, I get that. And these words came that have guided me since then in my own life. I said, well, it's not about giving up. It's about giving in to God. God wants to help you. He wants to give you peace and guidance through this every day. I said, whether you, what, so that you can enjoy and have some of his love and support. Where you're at peace now. Are you at peace now? And he said, no, not at all. And I said, would you like to be? God's in you, in your heart. And he said, well, and he, he was really quiet for a while. I said, give in. Let God help you. He can't help right now. You're, you're so holding on. So. And I never saw my dad relax like this. And he said, oh, thank you. He did. And he just, his whole body relaxed. He took my hand and he said, I love you, Dale. And 
I said, I love you. Not like my dad at all. And then, um, and I said, I got to go. He says, I know you got to go. My mom's dementia was flaring up. I had to come back to Hawaii. And so he understood, and I was exhausted too. And then uh, my stepmom was in another hospital. She was pretty sick, dying too, but her son was helping her. And, and so I, that was my goodbye. And then about three days later, uh, my dad passed away. What I learned about that was so powerful is that when we're faced with obstacles, it, it kind of initiates or invites, if, we, if you want even a sense of, I got to get control because everything, this obstacle, I'm going to press, I'm going to plow through it, I'm going to overcome it, I'm going to beat it, or whatever it might be. That's one possibility is, is control becomes a huge thing. And the problem with that, like with my dad, I learned is that it, it, uh, it even resists God, what he's trying to do in our lives. And so obstacles are a powerful thing. And how God works in them is that uh, as they come, he speaks to us about releasing control. About, and not being out of control, but really giving in to what God is doing in this thing. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. So I'd like to ask you this question. When a situation causes you to feel it's beyond your control, what might be your response? When you're faced with something, and I, how many of you have been recently, maybe even, faced with something you felt frustrated, angry, you felt like it's out of your control, you, you were aware of that, you're really limited. Anybody felt that? Okay. I do on a fairly regular basis. And I, I counsel on people, I'd say everybody does on a fairly regular basis. It's just whether we want to admit it or not, because we think it's not a lot of control, it's just everybody else won't cooperate with how I want to do things. That means you're being challenged about control. And it's not healthy. It's not God's way. And so, oh, what is that? And so what is your response when you, when you are in that place? Because conformity will say, will cause a couple of things. One is to just, it's just to give in. Give in to, and I'm not talking about giving in to God at this point. Give in to the control and just say, there's nothing we can do. And just give in. Just go along. I got, I, if I don't do this, I'll lose my job, I'll lose my house, or this or that. I just got to go along even though I don't think it's right. Another possible response is to just get out. Well, it's not going as I want, I'm just going to get out. Whether quitting a job, quitting a marriage, quitting a relationship, quitting a church, whatever it might be. Or just right, I'm just going to get out. Another possible response might be to give up. And giving up is just say, oh, it doesn't matter. I, I lost all hope, all passion for life. Uh, that's what, that's what uh, obstacles can invite us to uh, when it, and, and confront us with we're out of control. And so what might be your response? You, do any of those relate for you at this time or in your life? I just want to give you a moment. These are meant necessarily to answer all this right here. I hope for me anyway, I spend uh, a day every, time every day to ponder and reflect and journaling and reflecting with God. So I'm offering these to you if this is helpful for you. Take a moment if you want to just think about that, and we'll move on if that's okay with you. Obstacle brings us to these choices in life. They bring us to ourselves and where we are and how we live. And the, the power of obstacles is they cause us to really reflect on ourselves. And if we don't do that, we don't grow and we don't get closer to God and we don't really get closer to our own lives. So just a second one. I just want to go to one other thing about conformity. In conformity, we submit 
uh, to fear, despair, and blaming. I think those are fill-ins there. Uh, fear, despair, and blaming. If you, I don't know what your notes look like, but it should be, if you want to fill in. Is that, is that uh, blanks? Yeah. And, and these are things that come up in the midst of, of obstacles as the fear comes up. And then a tremendous, uh, a tremendous uh, amount of fear, but also despair. And then it's really natural to kind of go towards blaming. Blaming, if they hadn't done this, if it only hadn't been this person and all of that. And we start going into the blaming out of fear and out of despair and attacking others, looking out there. And that's what uh, conformity does and conforming to the power of these obstacles we're faced with is it, it kind of solicits in us. And it, of course, and it's normal to feel some fear, even some despair, and even blaming for a little bit. But that's not a good place to end them. And so you see that with this, when Pharaoh, when they left Pharaoh, the people, after they'd heard that, you know, after Pharaoh and them, I mean, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, hey, this is what God wants. And he said, no way. In fact, I'm going to make it harder on, on God's people. Uh, the people went, <laughs> when they left Pharaoh, they, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious, as it says here. In, an, in another translation, it says, you have made us stink, um, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> in other words, you've made us something not pleasant at all uh, and to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So in the face of them, of, of Moses and Aaron coming by God's leading to come and free these people instead uh, and how they responded to that, obstacles was fear and despair and then blaming them if you hadn't done this we would be okay as we are being with Pharaoh trying to kill us by making life harder and harder and harder for us and, and that's what that's what uh, obstacles do sometimes is they invite us to highlight fear despair and begin to blame those around us and so we look out there look out there and it's so counterproductive and we're missing what God is trying to do in the face of obstacles. So I just want to ask you, when you are faced with an obstacle, how does fear, despair, and blame come into your thoughts and ways? I have to say, back when I was describing about our move in that time, I, wanted, I was said, oh, first time in my life. I've been a pastor 30 plus years, and now the church is going to go under. And we're going to have financial crisis. And people were uh, wondering and asking and suggesting maybe I misplaced things or did something. And, and fortunately, those in the know were able to talk with people, engage with them, and give understanding. But, you know, the blame and the fear and the anxiety and despair just rose in the face of these, of these obstacles. And I felt that and, until finally God said, yeah, well, well let's... You know, the, the rope thing was so helpful to let go. And instead of being fearful or in despair or even blaming, follow my lead. Follow my lead. What do you need to work on in you? So when you're faced with these obstacles, what do you tend to do? Do you notice that in yourself? Do you see that? Do you hear that? It's just these whole questions are just helping us to reflect more deeply in the face of these challenges we have to know ourselves in order to be able to know God and know what he's wanting to say. And if we, like my dad, he was just so determined to get out of there. He couldn't let the God that he had invited into his heart help him. He had no peace. And it wasn't until he kind of gave, gave in and moved out of that anger and despair and, and blaming that his life could change a bit. He still died a few days later, but he died in more peace. I talked on the 
with the doctor just the day before he died on FaceTime, and they wanted me to talk to him again about being open to where this goes. And he was so much more peace. Um, he didn't want to die, but he also knew uh, he was in God's hands. I was grateful for that. <clears throat> so what do you learn from these responses that you see in your own life to these times, to these kind of frustrations, these feelings? They're normal. I'm not condemning them. It's not like you're not supposed to feel this. We feel these things. We feel fear. That's normal. We feel despair. That's normal. We even go towards blaming. That's kind of normal to tend towards that. So it's not saying, oh, you shouldn't feel or think or have that. But when you do, what do you do with it? And where do you go with it? So many times in the Christian community, it, we speak as if you're not supposed to have any feelings of anger, fear, despair, doubt, all that. And, you know, everybody does. And it, and it sort of causes you uh, to feel shame for that and hide it. And God says, I know you feel all this. Now let's be open and talk about it. So others, because of that, we feel, I can't face it. Don't think about it. Or others say, oh, no, I'm not going to be held by it. I'm just going to keep plowing ahead, trusting God, praise God. And he says, I'm more interested in what's happening in you and how I can heal and move you through this in genuine, meaningful ways than you faking it in any way at all. So what do you learn from these responses that you see in yourself? That's God's question to you or my question for you to ponder. And I, this is a lifetime of reflection that I hope is helpful for you. It has been for me. Okay? Well, I'll go on now to the other side. So conformity, our obstacles, bring us to cho choose either conformity, which we just talked about, or courage to change. Courage to change. And this is what the other, other part of it that we learned from these passages of what, how people found courage to change and what God did to help with that. And encouraged to change, we surrender to number uh, three, is honesty with God and ourselves. The kind of change God's most interested in, because he could, he could take care of Pharaoh. He can move people out of, out of that situation. But what he couldn't change easily was what goes on in us. And the biggest key was honesty with God and, and ourselves. When we do that, that's that takes courage to be really honest. This is where I am. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And so he asked them to be honest. So Moses returned to the Lord. It doesn't mean honesty is, is well, let me just say, honesty can be really messy. And, and put you right on the edge of thinking, is God going to slay me or God going to love me? And that whole thing, they said, yeah, God, if we don't, he, they told Pharaoh earlier, yeah, if you don't do this, God's going to slay us with swords and all that. And God, I don't think God ever said that. But they were in that uh, doing, well, whatever it might do to move Pharaoh, like Pharaoh's going to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you, you know, <laughs> But here he is. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, I love this. He said, why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak to you in your name, <laughs> he has brought trouble on his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Well, that's pretty honest, wouldn't you say? And you've got to say, what in the world possessed or made Moses feel he could be that straight with God? Well, that's how God is. I think God almost smiled like, ah, great. I, you're being genuine. You're being real. Now, you might be kind of in a little bit of a blaming mode, but I know exactly what you're thinking, and you feel free to say exactly what you're thinking, which says, I believe God is greater than my failures, my flaws, my anger, my blame. I can be open and honest. Because when we're honest, then God can begin to move and change and grow in us. And he begin to adjust us. But when we're not honest, we're stuck. 
We're stuck at some kind of hiding, and, and it reveals that somehow we're not sure how much God really does love us, care about us, and want to help release us and help us really truly find the freedom he has for us in life. And we can't get there without being really honest with God. But that's what takes courage of trust of God. And that's what he loves. That's what he, look, he didn't, he didn't smash them for this. He didn't eliminate them from this. He said, all right, you're fired. I'm going to get somebody else. In the face of obstacles, how free are you to be honest with God and yourself? How free are you? And what is the benefit of being honest? And I got to say, the benefit for me has been humbling and humiliation maybe at some point, but also then finally freedom. Freedom. I don't have to hide. I don't have to try so hard. I don't have to prove anything. I can really rely on the fact that God is really for me. God cares about me, and my failures and my flaws are not definitive of what God thinks of me. His love is definitive of me. He sees more in me than I ever seen. But I can't get there without being really honest. I can't move past where I am without being honest with myself and with God. And I think God cherishes that. He can move in that. Now we're open. We're free. He works with it. I'm not saying it's easy. I don't like it, but that's, that's the facts. And the benefit of it is that, man, I get closer to God because I figure if, if I can be this honest and he hasn't, you know, smashed me, then I'm taking that he, he's embracing me. And that's been true, proven over and over again. So what might be holding you back from being honest and being genuine with God? Uh, what, from what you might discover about being honest, a lot of times it boils down to, I think, is that what's holding me back has been I'm not sure I'm ready to face my flaws and my failures, my mistakes as much, and maybe even my wondering about God's conditional, condition of his love for me. But that's how we find it out. That's how we discover. When Bev was my wife, that some of you know, and many of you know, and many of you don't know, uh, I mean, I just learned so much from her about be, being genuine before God. Throughout her time with her cancer, it got worse and worse. She was able to talk about her days where she's just feeling down in the, the dark valley of doubt and struggle and, and be able to say it in order to be open and struggle with it. And sometimes, go, oh, okay, and, and call me to walk with her. And that actually helped her find God's grace and care in meaningful ways. She taught me a lot more about being honest with God and how genuine and powerful that is. And, and, and I really love that about Oh, Bev, and I remember her last night, we, the doc, we'd been to the doctor the week before, and he said, well, maybe two months or so. The cancer was spreading in her liver and her lungs and also starting to go into her brain. And I could see it affecting a little bit her eyesight. She couldn't see on one side at all. Just on, that was part of the effect. And her thinking was starting to get a little circular, but not too bad yet. And I was dreading that for her. She had such a, a great mind. I'd hate, and she was aware, and I'd hate to see her go, see it decline worse, you know, it was... It's like the touches I'd seen of dementia in my mom. It was somewhat similar. But I remember we'd had um, some people over over the weekend. Nathan Cheryl came by on Friday. We had a little dinner, and then Springs had come by. And, and then Saturday, our niece came, uh, who's from here, but living in Las Vegas, brought her little daughter so we could see them. She just felt moved. I got to go now, and she did. And, and my mother-in-law and brother-in-law and, and the kids, all our grandkids, everybody was there all day on Saturday, and we had a great day. And then that night, around 8 o'clock, everybody kind of left, and it was peaceful at the house. And 
a good day, a good day. Bev had a little energy, and she'd sit and lay down on the bed when she was tired and come back out, and people would come. Our bed became a meeting place, too. She could lay down and rest, and yet, uh, and then she'd be awake and have, save her energy just laying in bed so people, our grandkids and everybody could come talk. And, um, and so it was, it was good because it forced me also to, to keep up the bedroom, uh, clean up my mess. Yeah. I finally learned about the laundry basket. Oh, that's what that's for, you know. Just kidding. And Bev was so great, and she would just greet, welcome people. So about 8 o'clock, everybody was gone, and she sits, she's sitting on the edge of the bed and getting ready to put on her, her pajamas to go sleep. And she says, well, oh, well, before I tell you this, for a couple of days, I kept hearing God say, um, it, now's the time to, to tell Bev, let the cancer go. Let it go. And I never felt that, never pushed that. Like, hey, don't think about it. Just keep being positive. Yeah, you know, we didn't take that. But we just said, let's just, well, trust God and be genuine through the whole process. But here, a couple of nights before this, I heard God say, just, the time's going to come. You'll know the time when I want you to encourage her to let the cancer go. And that night, as we're sitting there, didn't know it was our last night. And she said, well, I, I think, well, I guess the cancer won. That was her words. And uh, I think I shared this with some of you, many of you, but I said, really? Oh, that's how, you, that's how you feel? And she goes, well, what do you think? She asked me. And I said, oh, thank you. <laughs> that was the door, I think. And I said, well, I think the cancer has done what it's going to do. That's true. And I think the doctors have done what they're going to do. They didn't really feel there's much more they could do. And I said, that's true. And I think, I think it's time to let the cancer go. It's done what it's going to do. We don't need to hold on to it and deal with it anymore. <clears throat> How do you feel about that? She says, oh, she's quiet. She says, yeah, I think you're right. And I said, and I said you know, because when Bev and I were just dating and just after we got married, she worked for the UH uh, Sports Information, which meant she was at all the, uh, all the bas- bas- football games and basketball and that. Uh, and they ran the press box and keeping everything informed and all that information and all that. The, the, one of the great things about that is I got a free seat up in the press box. I had to do some little stats, but I got to watch the game up there, which was really good, especially when it was raining. But anyway, she knew, she knew some about sports because I wouldn't necessarily have, you know, thought about this, but it came to me. And I said, you know how when we were watching the game, like sometimes the other team had the highest score at the end of the game. I said, yeah, and some would say they won. But the other team, whether it's UH or whoever, they played so well. and They gave their all to it. They won, too. They never quit. They never gave up. I said, that's you. You never quit. You never gave up. You loved me, our children, our grandkids, people in our lives. You loved the Lord through this, genuinely, honestly. But you, you gave your best to this. You, you, you gave through it, and you never quit. And so let's just let the cancer go. The doctors have done what they can, and let's just live into the day as best that we can. And we talked for about another hour and a half giving thanks for the life that we are living. We didn't say what had lived. We are living. We, we thought about all the churches. We served about four different churches through de- great difficulties and challenges, but also great joy and great friendships. We talked about many of you, the friendships we have, our lives, our children, our grandchildren, our family, and all the people, and the ways God has just walked with us through life, travel, fun, work, her meaningful work at, as a, at a, an educator at uh, Radford, and all, all that we've been through together. 41 years together as husband and wife. We just celebrated, just talking and giving thanks. And then 
she had a, a, a call from a good friend who she grew up with here who's living on the mainland, and they talked for about an hour and got to say, you know, things of goodbyes and how much they appreciate each other. And she, she passed the next morning very peacefully. Uh, you know, we didn't want her to go, but also was relieved that she was with the Lord and at peace and didn't have to live with the cancer anymore or its effects. <clears throat> and I learned a lot from her about that. I've shared that with you before, but I'm still learning and reflecting on that. And then the courage to change, we surrender to this last point on yours is, is learning how to wait, waiting, watching, and welcoming what God is saying and is doing. In the face of obstacles, as much as it instinctively was to fight harder, try harder, worry more, pray harder, all those kind of things, God calls us to wait. To wait on him and see what he's doing. To watch what he's doing. And then to welcome what he's doing. He's speaking into our lives. He's speaking in these situations. And he can't really see or get there until we're willing to wait a bit, not try so hard. Until we're willing to watch and see and take in what he's doing. And then to welcome and go with where he's called us. He never stopped calling these people to go through there, even in the face of Pharaoh. And what was beautiful is he never said, now you guys go and attack Pharaoh. You go call him out. You go challenge or anything. He said, I'll take care of Pharaoh. So many of the obstacles in our lives, God's asking, will you let me handle this? And you be true to me and what I'm asking you to do in your life. I'm not asking you to go attack. We've lived through people in our country who felt in the name of Jesus is go attack others, the government, this and that. And I don't think that's God's way. He says, wait, will you wait on me? And will you watch what I'm doing? And will you welcome what I'm doing and let that be your way rather than your way trying to get me to bless what you want to do? So I love this. This whole way in which obstacles we're faced with is God's asking us, what are you learning from this? So how would waiting, watching, and welcoming what God is saying and doing help you to deal with your obstacles? How is that helping? How would that help? Because I love this. In the last verse that Nathan read for us so well, in the end of that, God says, said, when Moses and, and Aaron came over to God and said, hey, what are you doing? What's happening? And then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. Contrary to what he thinks right now. I'm taking care of this obstacle. And then he said the most important thing to Moses. He said, I am the Lord. I am God. You're not, I am, I got this. That's God's way. So how would waiting, watching, welcoming what God is saying and doing help you deal with the obstacles in your life? Just a whole different pause, a whole different way. What might be new steps of change you could make to wait, watch, and welcome God? What are good steps you could do? And I just want to encourage you, if you're not already, and maybe you are, is take time in the morning or somewhere in your day to sit quietly, read some scripture, think about it, reflect on it, ask some good questions. It's not really, the Bible's not really meant to be, you got it and you tell the answer to it. It's really meant to cause us to, to be able to wait on God and to listen to God and watch what he's saying and doing and then to welcome him doing a new work in us and so through us in this world. And I want to encourage you and nurture and cultivate that. I've been... I've been doing that for probably 40 plus years uh, and I'm still learning a lot about it, but uh, I just can't find my way in life 
through the obstacles without some time to sit and be and to wait on God. Right? Waiting isn't being doing nothing. It's, it's really, hey, engaging with God and watching. What are, what are you up to here? It's amazing what God will reveal. And then to welcome that and say, that, let that change me, how I, how I go about my life. I say many people I know when they pray, it's, they're praying simply for God to change how they think it should be changed. Even with Bev, we did pray for God to heal. But greater was our prayer of God, what, what do you want to do in us and through us in this journey? And when we die, we die. But in the meantime, we want to live with you by your way for you in this world. And we're learning through that, growing through that. So in this time of uncertainty and change for you as well, the church moving and all that, God's, God's at work in this. He's, the obstacles that are present before you are not easy. I'm not trying to diminish any of that, but they're not without God doing something wonderful in you and through you, in your own lives, in this community, and in this world. This is how he works. He said, the obstacles you can't overcome, I will. God says that. I'll take care of that. But you trust me. Well, you follow my lead in this. Do what you can, and also don't try to do what you can't do. That's God's, God's way. His department. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Can I say a, a, a brief prayer and then I know? Well, I still got another couple hours, but I'll end it here. That's okay. Is that all right, Cheryl? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Let's pray. If you, if you like, uh, open your hands before you uh, as a kind of a, a posture of receptiveness. I, I like that. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you, God, that whatever obstacles we face, none of them are greater than you. They feel like that. We think that. And they cause all kinds of things to stir in us. Pray that we would have the peace and grace, honesty, and acceptance of your love to face those things and to learn from them and allow you to speak to us, change us, and grow us, that we may live more closely with you and walk more deeply with you and serve you more faithfully with you, not just for you, but with you in this world that loves you and doesn't love you, knows you, doesn't know you. Pharaoh is still somebody that you loved and cared about and uh, did all you can to help him change as well, I believe. But help us be true to what you call us to do. And any time we're faced with obstacles, to remember to help us to wait on you, to watch what you're doing and learn from that and to welcome you deeply in our hearts. Thank you for this beautiful family of Wellspring. Thank you for the privilege to be part of this family, to live and grow, and to, to, to be your people together. Welcome your blessing and your guidance. In Jesus, your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.